All right, we are in the second hour of the Monday crew here on WRSU. Chris Akonas and Dylan McCoy here with you. And joining us now, another friend of the program, someone we like to have on uh, whenever we can, Richie Schneiderite of Rutgers Rivals. Uh, joining us to talk some football recruiting and talk a little bit of hoops, too. Um, Richie, thanks for coming on. Really happy to have you on. You got Chris Coase and Dylan McCoy. How's everything going on your end? Yeah, I can't complain, guys. Um, I mean, other than that uh, that ugly game yesterday, uh, really can't complain on my end. Yeah, absolutely, Richie. You know, obviously, I think your area of expertise, uh, people know you for Rutgers football recruiting. Currently, Rutgers ranks 21st in the nation and 5th in the Big Ten for their 2022 recruiting class. We've seen guys like Jacob Allen and other high recruits. Uh, you know, Of their 18 commits they have right now, which one do you think has the highest chance of making an immediate impact as a freshman? Ooh, ooh you're probably on the spot here. That's a tough right? But um, I think it'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't say Amarion Brown, the four-star receiver out of Florida. Um, I think it's clear they're going to need some help there with Bo Melton leaving. Krukshank, we don't know what his status is going to be, how healthy he'll be. So someone's got to step up. Ideally, you expect him to do that. But um, in terms of freshman, I know it's hard for a receiver to just get on the field right away and make a big impact. But Brown has that type of playmaker. He's that type of playmaker that could make a huge impact uh, the minute he gets on campus. And someone else who has really made a lot of headlines uh, in terms of, you know, they're really, I mean, on both ends of the ball, Tommy Amonqua out of Hillsborough, uh, recently named to the USA Today All-New Jersey offensive team as an athlete. Um, you know, coaching staff recruited him as a corner. Um, do you think there's any chance that we might possibly see him on the offensive end, or is he, you know, going to be a defensive player in college, and why? Um, no, I think he's definitely uh, going to be a defensive player. I mean, he clearly has a ton of skill, as you saw, based on his highlight tape. And um, if you watch Hillsborough at all this year, he's easily the best player on the field. But um, he does a really good job with ball recognition, especially when covering receivers. Um, the tall, lengthy guy, very instinctive when it comes to reading the football in the air. Uh, he's a good tackler, too. So I really think that the, his, high, his ceiling is a lot higher on the defensive side. But I think there's a solid argument that he could play a little offense if needed. Maybe, I mean, I'm kind of just throwing this out there, but, I mean, maybe could we see him at some point, maybe like a kick returner kind of a situation? Um, I think it's possible. Uh, there, there's a ton. I mean, here, obviously. And so it's going to be hard to take over one of those two. But I, I think maybe in the future it's definitely, it's definitely possible. But there, there's a lot of speedsters out there on this team that um, I could see going ahead of him. Richie, um, obviously, you know, a lot of big news in the college football world. We've seen coaching changes all around. We've seen decommitments. One of the biggest decommitments that Rutgers fans have been following is Jaden Gould, Jaden Gould, who recently uh, decommitted from USC. Do you think that uh, Shiano and the Scarlet Knights have a chance to maybe put, pull him back into the state and keep the Bergen Catholic product in New Jersey? So, Jaden Gould's an interesting case. Um, Rutgers actually didn't push too hard um to begin with when he committed to USC. He didn't seem too interested in Rutgers, and Rutgers didn't um, kind of reciprocate that either. Um, once he decommitted from USC, it, it, he didn't have a ton of options, and I don't expect Rutgers to uh, reignite the fire there. He's a, he's a guy that uh, – or Rutgers in general, like the recruiting class, they're, they're pretty much done at this point. They don't have a ton of people or a ton of room left uh, in terms of scholarship-wise, with a lot of guys probably still coming back in that free COVID year and all that. So it does sound like this class is pretty much wrapped up. Minus maybe, I want to say, two or three transfers. 
But in terms of decommitments that are happening everywhere, it just seems like this whole uh, Rutgers class is solid. seems like they're all pretty much ready to sign. And then uh, that's pretty much it for 2022, it seems. And I know it's a little bit early days uh, in this regard, but um, looking at the transfer portal, um, you know, players entering the portal, a couple making some visits. I know there's still a bit of a way to go in that regard, but um, do you have any sense of, you know, maybe if not even specific players, but just, you know, in general, what the staff might want to be looking for in the portal and, you know, what are the prospects for, of them being able to fill those holes? Uh, I'd say I'd be posting an article the other day, actually, on a couple of transfers that they're looking at. And um, it, it's clear today that they want a wide receiver, an offensive lineman, and a linebacker. Those are the three main positions they really want. It seems like they're heavily on uh, a tackle, which is kind of interesting. Because you do have Holland Pierce, who was the mainstay at right tackle this year, and then you have Raquan O'Neal at left tackle, who's I guess been here for what three, four years now as a starting left tackle. So then, um, it, it's interesting. There are a couple names out there. Willie Tyler's one, who's a former um, former Texas uh, commit. Uh, I'm not sure if he actually played at Texas. He played JUCO, played at um, University of Louisiana, Louisiana Monroe. Um, he's probably the one I've watched the most out of all the transfers they reached out to, but. But it is clear that they want an offensive lineman and a linebacker, and then you probably want a receiver too. They've reached out to a couple, but no offers yet so far. And looking uh, ahead to 2023, you know, obviously in 2022, Rutgers was able to land the top player in the state in Jacob Allen. Uh, looking ahead to 2023, do you think Rutgers has a chance to repeat that feat uh, with Chase Basantis, and do you think he'll end up as a Scarlet Knight? Um, that's, that's a tough one. I know Rutgers has made up a lot of ground over the past year. Um, if you would have asked me this question a year, maybe even six months ago, I would have told you there's no shot at all. But now, um, Rutgers, Rutgers made up some ground here. Um, they've been recruiting the heck out of them. Um, they've done a very good job in trying to convince them to stay home. It is going to be tough to keep them away from those blue bugs. You know, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Penn State are all after them as heavy as any other program in the country. And uh, I think between those three and the Rutgers, it's probably going to end up being the top four, if I had to say. I do want to shift gears uh, to basketball uh, for just a moment, um, you know, with Rutgers falling to Seton Hall and on Sunday and then having that crazy upset against Purdue. Um, you know, I think there's been a lot made about, you know, where Steve Peichel's recruiting is right now, and that's been a hot uh, topic of discussion. I know you also, um, you know, as a publisher of Rutgers Rivals, you also are, you know, in tune with what's going on, on the basketball side of things. So, um, you know, Rutgers signing a two-person class of Derek Simpson and Antoine Wolfolk. Um, you know, I guess what should people know about them and what they could bring? And I guess what's your assessment of the recruiting in this program overall? Derek uh, Simpson, like, for first off, is just super underrated. Um, he's a little bit different than most guards that Peichel's recruited. Peichel kind of likes those taller, like, 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, I mean, at this point, Jones six guards too, but um, Derek Simpson is the opposite of that. He's like a six one. I want to say one seventy, one seventy guard. He's uh kind of reminds his game reminds me a lot of Baker, a lot of uh, a lot of driving to the hoop, drawing the fouls, hitting the occasional threes here and there. Um, he, he's an intriguing player. I'm actually going to go see him in a couple weeks as soon as their season opens up. Um, I think it actually opens up next weekend. But um, besides the point. The other guy they're getting is uh, Antoine Wolfolk. One, I, he, I don't really know a ton about him, to be honest, just because he was a three-star tight end in our, in our recruiting profile. So it was a little interesting to see that one come out of nowhere. But apparently, Pike will saw him at a couple AAU games this summer, saw the kid, loved him, loved his footwork, and then just offered him on the spot, and he ended up shooting hoops in the end. 
he's going to be an interesting because he's not the prototypical man that Rogers is used to between Cliff and Miles. Um, he's more of a 6'9", 250, 260 type big man. Kind of a little bit like a similar build to EJ Lale. But uh, really good footwork, super athletic on the court, very powerful too in his He's been learning the game of basketball and pretty solid player, but I, I don't know if he's going to be ready from uh, day one. I was curious because, you know, I'll be honest, I didn't know too much about either of them before, so I was kind of curious to get your take on, you know, where they stand. And, um, you know, I think, you know, looking at the freshman class from last year that, you know, didn't get to play a lot um, last year with, you know, not much of a non-conference slate. Uh, now we're starting to see, you know, Mawat Mag start to emerge and, you know, Oscar Pomko's Dean Reber haven't been able to quite break through to the same level. I guess, you know, what's your assessment of where that class is at this point? I know you were at the Seton Hall game yesterday. I got to actually run into you, which is good because I haven't seen you in a while. But uh, I guess what's your impression of them and, you know, where this team is at as a whole? Yes, I mean, um, Mawat Mag actually has to learn the game a little bit more and a little, a little more control on his body. He can just kind of stop throwing his body at people. Like you, I think we saw yesterday, there was just another dumb foul that he made. Um, I forget who on Seton Hall it was. It was just driving up the court and he's literally caught up to him in no time. And I'm like, oh my God, this this kid's pretty fast. Like, And then uh, he just like trips over himself and ends up causing a foul. But he's going to be a really good player. Um, the other two, Dean, I don't really, I'm indifferent on Dean. At first, I questioned it a lot when they took him. Um, but then I saw him in practice a couple times this year, and he looks a heck of a lot more athletic than I ever thought he would ever be. Um, he's still not playing significant minutes or any minutes at all. Like yesterday, I don't think he even saw the court, which is a cause for concern for me. Um, I don't know. I hate to say it, but I don't I don't know how um, how long he'll be at Rutgers. Just because they keep recruiting the way they are and the transfer portal being the way it is. Um, Oscar, he had, he had a pretty good game against um, Purdue and probably should have had two three-pointers if it wasn't for the uh, the one call. I, I forget who um, who forced the turnover there, but uh, regardless, um, he, he's turning into a good player, I think. I think he's super athletic. I've seen some crazy things from him in practice in terms of uh, leaping ability. Um, I, I think it's a solid class. I think a lot of people underrated just because they didn't play last year, but if you look at last year's team, if you played those three, you'd have, what, a 10, 11-man rotation, and that's just not the normal anymore. It's more of like a 7, 8, 9 around that area. Even 9 is kind of stretching it with rotation-wise too. But, yeah, I, I think the class will be good. And uh, I think the team, um, it's going to take some time. they got to figure each other out, gel a little bit more, and figure out the offense somehow too. But they could figure out the offense. Um, maybe they could bounce back a little bit before season's end. Based on what you've seen in the non-conference slate, both you know, you know the struggles in the early going, but then you know the high of beating number one Purdue, I guess – what are what is your current outlook? I guess what do you expect out of this team in terms of where they could finish in the Big Ten? I'm super optimistic going into the season. I'm not going to lie. I actually thought this would be a top five, top six team. Um, after hearing them defeat the Melvin on scrimmages, mind you, I know you're not supposed to look too far in the scrimmages. I was really optimistic, and I, I've kind of lost a little bit of hope at this point. Um, the Big Ten up to down or top to bottom is is just as good as ever um i've watched teams like ohio state who's been dominant and might be the best team in the conference actually in my opinion um purdue obviously it was an interesting win if you look at the stats i, I hate to say this on the Rutgers radio network but uh if you look at the stats i don't know if Rutgers could have been that game but it is what it is they would end up winning and uh it's a big win for them but uh, it, it's so tough just because if they can't get this offense going it's so tough to predict how bad it could be but if they do get it going it could turn around a little bit 
I'd probably say like I want to say like nine, eight or nine right now, predicting. But it, it is so tough just because every every game is a kind of a, a flip of a coin at this point. All right, Richie, we'll let you go. Really appreciate you spending a few minutes with us here on the Monday Crew. Hope to talk to you again soon. I'll talk to you guys soon. All right, Richie Schneider, right at Rutgers Rivals. I've been moving calm, don't start no trouble with me. Trying to keep it peaceful is a struggle for me. Don't pull up at 6 a.m. 7.16 on the Monday crew. Chris Aconis and Dylan McCoy with you here. And, I mean, there's a lot we could talk about here. Um, but Dylan McCoy has brought something to my attention during the commercial break. And uh, it's something that I wanted to uh, I wanted to discuss. I, I, don't, I don't know if we have the rights to play this audio. But um, I'm, I'm going to err on the side of saying that we can't, which is unfortunate because I really want to play this audio. But... Um, Dylan, what, what, what did you bring to my attention that I thought was significant enough to come back from the break with? So, so obviously, uh, you know, someone that's near and dear to your heart, Chris, Rex Ryan, former uh, ah, coach of the New York Jets, two right. AFC championship games. He's Chris. the worst Jets coach except for all of the ones that came after him. And you could have had Rich Kotite in your lifetime and you didn't. So, well, I had Chris Ash, so that's true. All right. But. Uh, obviously, he's on ESPN now. He's an analyst. He works on the show Get Up, uh, and they were describing Aaron Rodgers' toe injury, and you know he played pretty well this this week. He, I believe he threw for over 300 yards. He had like three or four touchdowns. Green Bay put up 45 points, uh, so it was a big game for him. And you know he was talking about Aaron Rodgers' toe injury, and obviously he said, "Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with Aaron Rodgers." And then you know he added the line that he was a toe expert, uh, which if you know anything about Rex Ryan or his uh, if you I'll just say if you know anything about Rex Ryan, you know that's uh, it's pretty it's pretty comical. Uh, you know, I, said that on air, and all the other co-hosts started laughing. Ryan Clark used to play safety for the Steelers, sitting next to him, had to walk off stage. He was laughing so hard. Uh, you know, I, I I think my reaction was the same when I first saw the clip. If I wasn't on a train, uh, I would have been probably on the floor laughing. But I love that from Rex. You know, he's he's honest almost to a fault. How? I mean, why? Just well, you know why? What the? We're, no, but like, why would you say <laughs> that? You're on national television. I don't. He. I mean, he he probably said it to go viral. And I people mean, are starting. Works. People are starting their mornings like they they eat breakfast when they watch Get Up. <laughs> they don't want to hear about Rex Ryan being a toe expert. <laughs> What's wrong with this man? I mean, I gotta say, it was it made me laugh, and it's it some was some kind of joke. It was the one thing that a coach did this week that intentionally made me laugh. Everything oh Brian Kelly has done this week has made me laugh, but it's been very unintentional. You know, when he's talking about his family and making funny videos. Okay, that's fruits. audio we can we can use. I, I wanna I wanna pull that up. You know, I know okay. it's a little bit outdated, but yes. I'll, I'll pull that up. But uh, if you want to vent more about Brian Kelly, while well, I look, pull that up, uh, you know, you have I the floor. Mean, the thing is, like, I really don't have an issue with Brian Kelly going to LSU because I've been very anti Brian Kelly on this show. I think he coaches like he's had a mid-major. I never thought he was going to get Notre Dame over the hump to win a championship. And Marcus Freeman, you know, he's an inexperienced guy, but he's been in the Notre Dame system, and I think he has a different perspective on ways to recruit at Notre Dame. You know, he's, I think he would sell it better to 18-year-olds than, than 65-year-old Brian Kelly would. You know, that's just me. And the players seem really excited to play for Freeman, so I'm very excited to see what he has to, what he's going to do next year with a, with a very good team. 
All right, so I've got the audio up. Uh, if you haven't heard it already, uh, one, I don't know what you've been doing with your life if you haven't heard this audio by now, but we're going to play it again just because it's so ridiculous. Uh, here's Brian Kelly at uh, the Peen Maravich Center, a, a really nice college basketball arena. If you, I, I was fortunate enough to broadcast game courtside there two years ago when uh, Rutgers women's basketball played down at LSU, which was an amazing trip. But um, here is Brian Kelly becoming a good old boy from the South. Can we? Can we, I, I'm gonna petition you for the next hotkey uh, to be. I'm here with my family. Uh, you know, I'm just a good old Southern boy from Framingham, Massachusetts. Uh, I also just, did not know he was from Massachusetts. I didn't know. That I just either, assumed but. he was from like Indiana or Ohio or you know one of those states. I did not see him as a Massachusetts guy. I assumed he was from wherever Tom Coughlin was from because they both are the reddest people I've ever seen on a on a football sideline. They they literally go. <laughs> They go straight red. It's crazy. Well, it's, the difference is... Um, Tom Coffin won two Super Bowls. Yes, yes. And, and Brian, Brian Kelly, Kelly has not. lost a couple college football playoff games handle, handedly. <laughs> oh, uh, man. But, hey, they got Marcus Freeman. I like Marcus Freeman. I'm a big fan of his. I Obviously, the defense at Notre Dame has been one of their selling points. Uh, you know, this season, Kyle Hamilton is probably going to be a top five pick in the draft, and I would have to agree with that. I think he's the best defensive prospect in this year's draft. Uh, and yes, I did say that when Aiden Hutchinson exists. Uh, but you know, I I I think Freeman is is a player's coach. So if the players are able to respond to him, I I think he'll do a good job. You know, we'll have to see if he can get over the hump that, of Notre Dame being you know maybe the fifth or fourth best team in the country, but never being the first. We'll we'll have to see. But you know, he excites me more in like his introductory press conference and seeing the way the players react to him than Brian Kelly ever did in any football game, and that includes college football playoff games. Who's who's Notre Dame playing in their bowl game this year? Uh, Oklahoma State in the Fiesta Bowl. Okay. Barstool released a pretty cool hoodie. It's uh, Catholics versus Cowboys, which is Ooh. pretty. I like it. I might, I might, I might purchase. I might purchase. Okay. That's an. That's an all right. I mean, obviously not as cool as Catholics versus Convicts in the '80s against Miami. That's that's the OG. That's amazing. That's an amazing name for a football. Can we game. also while we're on the subject of um merchandise uh based around sporting events? Ooh, I think how, I know what you're gonna bring up. I, can we talk about how Ron Harper Jr. not only made a pretty good shirt, but also apparently solved the supply chain crisis because it's getting into people's hands within like forty eight hours of them ordering it. I saw that people got them already. It's a cool hoodie too. It is. I, I would definitely get one. I mean I'm definitely saving for my Christmas gifts right now for my family and friends, so I probably will hold off until maybe after the season. But I would recommend if, if people get them. I think it's on uh, the player's trunk is what the site is called. Uh, you know, I definitely recommend you going there, helping out, a, a you know, a fellow Rutgers student, a classmate of ours, actually. Uh, 
yeah, I would definitely recommend you going to check them out. They're they're pretty cool. That that picture of him like throwing up the shot is just just absolutely incredible. You know, it's not that there not that there wasn't form on it, but it, the form was I'm gonna get this to the basket any way I possibly can. And I mean, obviously it worked out. It was incredible. But I think the most incredible feat of that game is Chris that he was in our class on time the next morning at nine a.m. He got there before I did. He yes. Yes, but, he was there before I was as well. But, I mean, I also uh, had to cram the project before working at a morning news radio show. So yes. I, I was awake for like 38 consecutive hours. Um, so, I mean, not not to make any excuses. I have to show up and you know do my job. But The first rule of being present is being present. As he said, the, the bar <laughs> is the floor. <laughs> All right, let's see if I can find. All right, um, so here was Schmid's uh, call of the game winner, if you haven't heard already. That also went oh, viral. We, I just realized we never went back and revisited this on crew, so um, oh, I want to do that right now. So I've heard this clip probably a thousand times since the game happened. All right, it's not going to get old. So. Oh, no. It won't. All right, here we go. Jake Schmid from the Jersey Mike's Arena on Thursday night. Point four to go. Harper Jr. crossing that timeline. No timeout. Crossing the timeline. Last second heave. Oh, it's good. Down go the Boilermakers. Down. The train is off the tracks. The train is off the tracks. The train is off the tracks. Down goes number one. Oh, my goodness. The train is off the tracks. All right. That was the one that ended up on Twitter. Uh, one reporter tweeted out. That's all it took. And it got like 40,000 views. So good for Jake Schmidt. It deserved them. That's an awesome call. Did, did you, I got to ask you, was was the trainers off the tracks, you know, something that you expected or was it kind of? I had of, no idea. I wasn't expecting anything to come out of that shot. So yeah, I just there. sort of took it all in. I don't know what I would have said in that situation. I could have very easily have tripped over myself. Yeah, I also agree. I, I, don't, I mean, no you idea. can say that you know how to call a buzzer beer, but until you've actually done it, you don't really know. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you. I think that it's difficult to really contemplate, like, what's going to go on in that time. But Shmeed did a great job, obviously. He, he really just showed up for that call. And, you know, I yeah. know you would have done a good job as well, Chris. I, uh, I have not denied you. All right, well, you want to hear the – I've got some other uh, cuts here from that game because I feel like that call got all the attention, but I feel like it was was a game with a lot of highlights. So here was uh, the bucket that Harper made with 13 seconds left to go in that game. They trail by one, 66-65, gives to Harper Jr. Harper with 18 to shoot. Jab step on Morin. Down low and Harper trying to bulldoze in traffic. Spins around, shot up and go. It's good. It's good. Rod Harper Jr. a spin around shot and he makes it. Another Kobe-esque shot. Rutgers leads by one. Okay, so that was the bucket before. We thought might have been the game winner um, with 13.1 to go. And then um, I'll just say this. You, you hear him kind of trail off a bit there. I don't know how that happened. I don't know if that was a crowd drowning him out. Uh, I, I think also, so, man. I should that, also point that out that we had the crowd loud. mic turned all the way down. It didn't matter. I, that was I know. A, that, was a, like, that was like Seton Hall 2019, that crowd. It was loud in there. Yeah. So, um, so there was that, um, and, and you know, so I don't know if that must have been because like when I heard it in my ear, because you have the return the local feed, you hear yourself yeah. and your broadcast partner in your ears. I didn't hear him trail off at all, but I was also kind of like in a zone per se. So like I don't really know. Oh, um, absolutely. But, but here uh, was employers. If you're listening to this, yes, Jake Schmid. This is all just one giant cover letter. I'm going to keep playing him because uh, cool I don't with care. That. All right, here's uh, Kale McConnell step back in the second half. Hang on. Hang on. Let me fix this. All right, I got it now. Ivy swings it around down low. McConnell backing in. Jane and Ivy, 13 to shoot. Step back from McConnell. Oh, it's money. Caleb McConnell. The step back is the name of the game for him. 
The word of the day for Caleb, step back. Here's word? I don't even remember that call. That I was, like that. That was, I, that was creative. I like that. I would not have thought of that in the moment. No uh, way, no how. Okay, here's um, here's another one. <laughs> right, down low in the paint to AG. AG a floater, and it's good. And one. Ralph Gonzalez, AG, the San Jose State transfer, able to can in the floater off of a nice pick and roll from Paul Mulcahy. Rutgers down 63-57, 4.09 to go. Jalen Miller. Um, yeah, I think that was the last one from the second half. But like, it was just like a very like highlight heavy game. We've got like let me count here: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. We had eleven cuts from that game. Wow, I mean that's a great. It's a great game. It's one of it's one of the biggest wins in program history. You know, even if this team doesn't make the tournament this year, it's the first time they ever beat a number one. It was a ridiculous buzzer beater. The, like I said this to you off the air, it's the fastest court storm I've ever seen. From Rutgers or otherwise. It was like, because you know how court storms go in this building, which we love. We they love take the them in. That's a, that's a big jump. You have to go like single jump. file, single file down the down the lines. I mean, a single file court storm just doesn't have the same juice. But, I mean, I would have to go back and like give this the film, the Zapruder treatment, um, to sort of get like a frame-by-frame frame look at it. But, um, <laughs> CC Darren Ravel. Uh, yeah, posted at seven thirty-four in, in the morning. morning when people are trying to eat. What that's when people are trying to eat breakfast. What a sicko! Someone was like, someone responded to him too. It was like it's seven thirty-four in the morning. What are you doing, Darren? And Darren, <laughs> and he responded. He was like, uh, "History must be confronted, even when it is uncomfortable." I'm like, "Bro, it, it would have been." The, you're a sports gambling reporter. That's not even your beat. It would have been less uncomfortable at twelve thirty in the afternoon. But I, I, I mean, digress. is there a comfortable time to post that? No, no, no. yeah. But I meant that more in a frame-by-frame breakdown, zooming in, seeing when people did what. Apparently, people like rushed in from the sides, some of whom people made did in rush from the in top. from the sides. I and saw. that I feel like that didn't happen during Seton Hall. No, it was much more controlled. But also, that game was decided like within five minutes. Oh well, yeah, people were like getting ready to storm the court. Like I was ready to storm up. the court. After... I was at the back of the student section, so it took me a hot minute to get. Down I was there. ready to storm the court after the I believe it was the Geo Tehran alley oop. The, the the second alley oop in the game because the you first one the first basket was miles through an alley oop which was ridiculous miles johnson i think we the, have the highlight cuts from that game ah uh, that's such a better it's let's, a better a better time let's see if i can find those hang on a second here the i got i gotta that, scroll down a sec but the i think fact I can that pull that team up. didn't get to play in an ncaa tournament is blasphemous i mean you really gotta rub blasphemous. salt in there dylan a quasi a not getting to play in an ncaa tournament is ridiculous He's bowling out right now in Europe. Because he's a hooper. Of course he is. He's the best bench scorer that Rutgers has had in my lifetime, and maybe ever, to be quite honest. Okay. Hang on. I got to scroll back here a bit. But, I mean, but everything about that game was, like, the 12-0 run to start. And, like, it felt like, you know, once that run happened, like, there was, even though, like, you know, when you're up 12 with that much time left in the game, it's by no means settled. It but was over. Yes. With the uh, with the atmosphere in the crowd, that game was over. And then Miles I believe uh, Ma- Mamu Sh- I don't Mamu Kelashvili. He was injured before the game and didn't play. And then yeah. Miles got a concussion and was out like halfway through the game. And, like obviously you don't want to see injuries happen. When Miles got hurt, I knew the game was over. Well, because the Seton Hall team, and this is something that Jared Crino mentioned in the pregame interview we aired uh, last night. Mm-hmm. Um, the Seton Hall team then was like a lot more Pavel heavy. Like they were a good team. Like you know they were going to be a three seed in the tournament before, um, you know. Everything happened, and the four times came to an end. But, um, you know, 
this team is a bit more deep. And I think that's why they were such a tough matchup for Rutgers um, this year. Um, but yeah, so here are some of the highlights from that. We're gonna start. I'm gonna start from the bottom up. So start with the beginning of the game, okay. and uh, this one's only four seconds long. So whoever cut highlights for this did not do a good job, but I'll play it anyway. Baker, Baker puts up the three. That one's good. Nothing but net there. Scarlet Knights go up five. Yeah, I mean, in terms of volume, I don't know if that was the a crowd long mic up. three. That was like an NBA three. I remember that. I think that's how Brian Gordon said it on the BTN call. I, I vaguely remember him saying that. But all right, here's the one to go up. It was actually fourteen nothing. So. I correct myself there. Young driving in. Puts up the shot. That one's good. Nothing but net there. As he gets the finger roll to fall. Scarlet Knights go up 14 nothing. 14-23 left to go in the first half. All right, and there's a bucket for McConnell. This out to McConnell. McConnell puts up a three. That one is good as it rolls in. It was in and out and then back in. I love when the crowd mic on the, like, the meters goes up to like where the, like, the mic is supposed to go. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. absolutely. Because that's, I mean, it's not the best sound on radio, but as long as you can still hear the announcer, which we could there. Who was on the call for this That was game? Troy DeSavino. Um, I mean, who needs no introduction? And Justin Santup, who was uh, the GM that year and the okay. sports director my freshman year. So. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a, we actually hosted a, I don't know, did I ever tell you about the Scene Hall, like, tailgate show that we did? No. I'm, I'm yeah, so it was. Tailgate for basketball? I was like, you can't tailgate for them again. You well, can't we tailgate were, for we were, I, I used that term loosely. It was more just like a pregame that we did outside with a tent. That's it. Because like we go out. It was like, I don't know if you remember that day very much outside of the game, but it was like cloudy. It was kind of, you know, crummy weather. But it, it was dry in the beginning. We had a tent because we knew it was probably going to start raining at some point, and sure enough, it did. But it was like a little drizzle. People were stopping. We were doing trivia questions, all that. I like uh, that. You know, it was a fun little thing that we did, and it was me. It was uh, Corey Jason and it was Jake Ostrove. So we're hosting the show. We're doing our thing. Justin and Troy are inside doing the Pikele interview, getting ready for the game and all that. And then with about, I want to say it was about a half hour before, like we get this random burst of rain and wind that just came out of absolutely nowhere. And the tent starts to move. And we had it, we had like weights at the bottom of it. So for it to start moving, like that's like, that's like an, oh no, like where did that come from? So we're freaking out trying to get it. And then someone, a good Samaritan, was kind enough to help us keep the tent down. The man who saved the tent and quite possibly uh, the equipment used for that broadcast, Bo Melton. Wow. Yes. Really? Yes. That's... Out of nowhere. What a guy. Yeah. What a... What a Salt great, of the earth. Great player. Great guy. You know, that's, that's the type of student athlete Rutgers loves. Family trust chop. <laughs> Family trust chop. <laughs> Well, Chris, you know, I don't want to be off topic, but we were bringing up coaches before, and I've got another Urban Meyer quote for you. Oh, another no. Another one. So, obviously, if you haven't heard, uh, called his assistant coaches losers. That was verified by Urban Meyer, which I don't know if that's the best thing to verify, that, that kind of quote, but respect for the honesty. But So, this is from Demetrius Harvey. Demetrius Harvey's a beat writer for the Jacksonville Jaguars for their SB Nation website, Big Cat Country. So... Urban Meyer was asked about Andre Sisko playing more again. He said, Sisko is playing a little bit more, I believe, but I don't have his numbers in front of me. Would you like to guess how many defensive snaps Andre Sisko played yesterday? How many? It was less than one, and it was zero. You could have just said zero. He he didn't play any. He he did not play any defensive snaps. Oh, man. Why? Just just, just get rid of him. I'm just glad that uh, Urban Meyer is the tire fire that he is. Just so I don't have to think about the Jets being the biggest embarrassment in the National Football League. 
Like, it's comical how bad that has gone. I don't think the Jets are the biggest embarrassment. They're, they're not, and that's why I like not. Urban Meyer. I, he's <laughs> taking some of the heat off of us. I mean, you have uh, Zach Wilson, who is like, um, you know, one day he's Aaron Rodgers, like, launching bombs down 60 yards down the field and, like, legitimately balling out. And then, like, he'll throw, like, a seven-yard, like, screen pass to Ty Johnson, and it's, like, bouncing in the dirt. <laughs> and I'm like, bro. What are you doing? You're the number two overall pick. The fate of Joe Douglas's career and Robert Sala's career is in your hands. What are you doing? Yeah. How do you not know how to complete a screen pass? It's it's all right. Though. I You're mean, the number least, two overall pick. At least you have a general manager that you like actually think is like bringing your team in the right direction. Is he though? I mean. You're I telling hope, me that, I think so. I think he could. I think you're telling me that Joe Douglas twenty one class is could be good. Um, I mean, we don't really know for, for sure for another year or two, and I, I mean, I am curious to see what he does this offseason. But the first class kind of fizzled out a bit more than people expected. It looks like Bryce Hall, who, he, who to his credit, he found in the fifth round. So, like, he can find diamonds in the rough. Um, you know, fifth-round cornerback out of Virginia, like, he was, like, the one good pick there. And, like, he is good. Like, he's a legit NFL-caliber corner. But, you know, Mekhi Becton is good, but, like, can he stay on the field? Yeah, that's the big well, question because he mean, was the, you know, your your second most important player on your offense. Contrary to what people think, is not running back. It's not wide receiver. Although the Jets do need both, it's left tackle, and you know, a big part of the reason why the offensive line hasn't played as well as Jet fans would have hoped is because Mackay Beckton has been out pretty much the entire year, and if they don't get that fixed, you know, I mean, I hope Mackay Beckton stays healthy. I hope you know he gets the durability issue sorted out because I really like him as a player. And when he's on the field, I think he's been pretty good. I mean, he's had a couple of, like, rookie mistakes, but, you know, that that's to be expected. But, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Giants have the same problem, obviously. Kadarius Tony being taken at number 20. He's had a really tough time staying on the field. I mean, that, it was COVID. It was a couple of ankle injuries. It was everything. But, you know, it's tough being a Giants fan. You know, obviously Daniel Jones being out is breaking my heart because uh, I don't want to see Mike Glennon or Jake Fromm take snaps for the Giants. I, I think I'm more angry at seeing Glennon than I am from, but Giants are quickly turning into one of the biggest laughing stocks in the NFL. I mean, not that it hasn't been going that way, but now it's really, really going that way. Uh, I mean, right now we have two top 10 picks. Hopefully that will change it up. I believe we have five and six right now, if I'm not mistaken. Thank you, Chicago, for continuously being bad, but there needs to be a change. Uh, Dave Gettleman needs to go. Joe Judge, Sorry, you need to go too. Uh, Jason Garrett, goodbye. Patrick Graham needs to stay. Needs to stay forever. Uh, yeah, and Daniel Jones probably also needs to go. I don't know. I'm so on the fence with him. I'm so on the fence. He's had he's had flashes of greatness. But, but I feel like you can say about most rookie quarterbacks or young quarterbacks. But he's not a rookie anymore. This is That's my thing third is, season. This is it, like the I kind of get like Mark Sanchez vibes with him, except he doesn't have the same like – that's fair, honestly. I would say he's maybe a little little bit more of a playmaker just because he can do a lot more with his legs, I think. But at the same time, his his idiosyncrasies at the quarterback position are, are killer. And they've you know, it's it's a lot to overcome, to be honest. And then obviously Saquon Barkley, you know, this guy was supposed to be generational and still could be, but I don't see him being that way with New York. He's, Saquon Barkley he's was just generational. In, 
I, talent wise, absolutely. You don't have a big window, and this is like reason number forty-seven why I said it was a dumb idea at the time. And I like Saquon as a prospect. I think he he talent wise, he's as pure of a talent at running back as you will find. But drafting him number two overall when you had the holes that that New York Giants team had was stupid. It was a moronic decision. Dave Gellman should have been fired on the spot for it. You do not draft a running back second overall. Because if you're second yeah. overall, you are not a running back away from being a contender. Yeah. And by the time that you are a contender, even if you have the right GM, and I am by no means endorsing Dave Gettleman for that role, if that's if that's where you are, by the time that you build the team around him, like congratulations, most of that running back's prime is gone, and you got to pay the guy. So, you know, what are we doing here? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely have to agree with you, you know. I mean, in retrospect, who were we drafting at two if we weren't drafting Saquon? So Berkeley? who else was in that Sam draft? Sam Darnold. I mean, I feel like I mean, in hindsight, it was a bad idea, but a lot of people thought highly of Sam Darnold at the time. That's so the one. Like, that's the one quarterback that I can like. I can take solace in the fact that I was very sure that he was not going to be good. And I mean, congratulations. I'll, I'll take. I mean, I don't get them all right, obviously, but all right. Let's see. I believe it was the 2018 draft. If I'm not okay, it was. So at number one, Baker Mayfield. I would say the jury's still out. He's regressing to the mean. He uh, he doesn't look as good as he did his. I still think he year. could rebound. Though. I don't I, think he's a I lost do cause. Too. He has a lot of weapons there. But then number two, Saquon Barkley. Uh, you know. Uh, All right, three was Darnold. Who was four? Denzel Ward for Cleveland. That would have been a good pick. He's yeah, a good player. Have, it would have. Bradley Chubb at five. Good player. Can't really stay on the field. Sometimes, well, I mean, but, but that's not really. You, you can't. Look, unless someone has like a really like red flag injury history, you can't really fault a player for getting hurt because like they usually can't control that. It's like my definition of a bust, maybe this is a hot take, my definition of a bust is not someone who um, you know, can't stay on the field or court or whatever due to injuries. It's someone who just flat out cannot play when they are on the court. Like Greg Oden, for instance. Greg Oden was a great center at Ohio State. He was picked number one overall for a reason, but he just couldn't stay healthy in the NBA, and that's why his career flamed out. I don't consider him a bust because it wasn't that he couldn't play. That wasn't the issue with him. It was that he couldn't stay on the court. And it doesn't matter how good you are when you're on the court. If you're always hurt, you know, you don't really have much value. Yeah, I mean, I think That's a big, my philosophy I think a big it, definition of a bust, too, is like who you are like taken ahead of. And he was obviously taken ahead of maybe the most unguardable player in the history of the league in Kevin Durant. Uh, which is which is a tough scene for for Portland, but number six in that draft, Quentin Nelson, one of my favorite offensive linemen. Obviously, big fan of his in college, and he's continued to be great in the NFL. Possibly on his way to being a Hall of Famer. Uh, pro- I would say probably on his way to being a Hall of Famer. And then at number seven, maybe the most surprising pick of the draft, who ended up being the best, uh, Josh Allen. You know, out of Wyoming, a lot of question marks. A lot of it, a lot of it for him was he's got a big arm, but what else can he do? And it every, he could do everything else. And he got put in a great situation in Buffalo. And look at him now; he's a top yeah. But he was someone that quarterback. In the not league. even necessarily the good team around him, but he was someone that had to be developed the right way. Yes, that is a big thing. The Giants, like, even if he was on like, because he could have been on bad. a good team, but if like they didn't put the thought or like you know had the right pers- personnel there to coach him because like he was a very flawed prospect out of college like there was a reason why there were three quarterbacks who went ahead of him yeah or wait was it just two uh ahead of Allen 
Yeah, it was it Darnold. Was it was Darnold Mayfield. And Mayfield. It was, yeah, all right, it was too. And then the next point quarter, stands though. The next quarterback was taken at tenth overall. I think you know which one this is, Chris. Uh, he went to Arizona. He didn't stay there for very long. Then he went to Miami. He went to Chicago, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. He went to Miami, and then the Falcons this year. I didn't even know he was on the Falcons. Oh, Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen. Josh oh Rosen. yes, I I completely forgot he existed, except for when Doug. Wears his jersey for reasons. He's a Josh Rosen jersey. Yes, that's really cool. Cardinals. Actually, I really like. It's cool that. in a weird way. Like I'm not like trashing him. Like oh, I mean, Doug's a man, but like, it's very unusual. Yeah, and then there's a reason why I never get quarterback jerseys for the Jets, even when I think they might become good. Like and then, I don't have a Zach Wilson jersey, and I have no intention of getting one. Oh, I mean, of course. I mean, if you looked for the Giants in this draft, you know, we're talking about Gettleman. Will Hernandez is their next pick, average at best guard. Lorenzo Carter in the second round. Average at best, maybe le- honestly maybe lower than average. B.J. Hill, I, only on the team because he's still on a rookie contract. Kyle Loletta, no. Uh, Remember when people were like, "Oh, maybe he'll be the guy. <sighs> he could be our Garoppolo." Yeah, I know it wasn't like a huge, huge sentiment, but I feel like uh, enough people said it to be a thing, and I found that kind of strange. Yeah, it's like why the Richmond quarterback out of everybody? This draft is strange because the best player in the draft gets taken thirty second overall. Who's who's that? Lamar Jackson. Oh, that's right. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not bad for a running back. And and speaking Ouch. of running back, Nick Ouch. Chubb. Nick Chubb, 35th pick in this draft, and he's amazing. So, man. Yeah, the Giants are bad at drafting people. Uh, I mean, you're talking to a Jets fan here if we wanted to talk about that. Yeah, we could talk about – I mean, the one I remember, and for some reason I don't know why I remember it because it was before my lifetime, but I remember Kyle Brady over Warren Sapp for some reason. That's one that Oh, the always... video of that is hilarious. I'm selling where my the tickets. Jet fans are freaking. Oh, I want to see if I can. Let me see if this I can is, find a video of that that we can we can like use. He's literally like, this is the worst pick since last year. <laughs> oh, let me see this. Absolutely, there has to be a video that we can use here for this. Hang on. I would love to see as long as it's not from like a network or something. I think we're good. Like, I would love to see the like the Giants like drafts the past couple of years. It's probably just been absolutely awful. I felt bad because like Kyle Brady, there was nothing wrong with him. It's just. Uh, hang on. Here, I got it now. I, I think this will work. Oh boy. Um, make sure you don't yeah. get a uh, FCC violation. No, I'm not worried about that. But <laughs> hang on, let me uh just get the setup here. Johnny Lamb Jones, wide receiver, Texas. I think it's a good selection, but a very. So this is like they're showing the other ones here. In the lead up, so just provide okay. some context. Like the like the top. Let me uh, let me actually skip forward to Kyle Brady because I don't okay. want to sit through excellent. these schmucks from the eighties. Oh uh, yeah, what draft was this? Like ninety four? I want to say it was ninety five. Mm, interesting, interesting. Um, hang on, I got this is like when the draft was just starting to become like a thing. Oh, I think this is it. This is the second selection. I think this has to be it. Hang on. All right, this is it. Like Blair Thomas. Nope, never mind. Too early. It doesn't show it on the screen. That's why I had to like guess. Oh, this has to be. Oh, this is it now. This is it now. I got it now. Okay. So now you hear the Jet fans chanting. The New York Jets select tight end from Penn State, Kyle Brady. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, our first real upset, I think, at this point in the draft. I love that. Well, the boos are amazing, but there's this clip. And that I think poor was- guy, he's just holding up the Jets jersey, <laughs> and, he, and everyone just is so angry that he's holding up the Jets jersey. 
poor guy did nothing wrong except not be Warren Sapp, which is not something that you can help. Yeah, I mean, honestly. But, um, you know, if, if you look at the Giants' past couple of drafts, uh, you know, this year it was maybe the first year. All right, last year's first two picks were pretty decent, too. This year it was Kadarius Tony and Aziz Ojulari. Two guys that I think will be in the future of this franchise. I love Kadarius Tony when he's on the field. I love what he does. Uh, Aziz Ojulari has been arguably our best pass rusher. He's got seven and a half sacks this year. He's really, you know, done a good job. And then last year, Andrew Thomas, who I will defend him till the end of time. He is getting better as his career progresses. I think he's going to be the starting left tackle for the Giants for the next five, ten years maybe. He's good. Uh, and Xavier McKinney, who has been showing flashes of greatness this year. I think he's also a, a highly developing player. You know, he reminds me of Landon Collins, you know, second round pick from Alabama, hard hitting safety guy who's good in coverage. Uh, so I really like him. But if you look before then, you know, it's, it's kind of uh, in 2019, we had three first round picks. One of them went to uh, Daniel Jones. The other one went to Dexter Lawrence, who still doesn't have 10 career sacks on uh, the third one, went to Deandre Baker, who was cut after an arrest, acquitted of the arrest, but cut. And also did not know the playbook until about week 15. Which... Well, I mean, Denzel Mims. You want to talk about someone not knowing the playbook? <laughs> oh. But then in yeah, 2018, we talked about before. 2017, Evan Ingram. Uh, the jury, I guess, is out. I, I, I don't like him. as uh, In the Giants. Dalvin Tomlinson, not even a Giant anymore. Wayne Gallman, not a Giant anymore. Davis Webb, another person who Giants fans might have said was the guy at one point. People just were talking themselves into him being the guy. Absolutely, Jet fans did that with Denzel Mims too, and and also a quarterback with Sam Darnold. They were like, "Yeah, well, you know, it's 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 a little messed up. It's still good. It's still good." And then they yeah. just go on and on. And then next thing you know, it's like year three, and he's throwing three picks against the Colts. And then, uh, and then just before we we go to break and we come back for rapid fire, twenty sixteen was the infamous Eli Apple pick, tenth overall. Oy. Uh Sterling Shepard in the second round that year, which is great. But then. 2015, Eric, or excuse me, Landon Collins in the second round, and then ninth overall, the Giants took mainstay for, I believe, Washington now, Eric Flowers. So, the GM before, Eric and Flowers. then Dave Gettleman, uh, not a great track record when it comes to drafting, but yeah, this team, you know, clearly the last seven years of drafts have set us up for, for awful, awful failure. Uh, you know, the longest tenured player was drafted in 2016, and that's a problem when you're trying to develop a, a winning culture. But I guess I'll quit my belly aching for now. Rapid fire time. Got about seven minutes and change left here on the WRSU crew on the Monday edition of the crew. And then uh, we're going to send things over to Scott Einhorn. But first, we're going to throw it over to Dylan McCoy. Dylan, what did we miss today? So we had a lot of interesting things in rapid fire today. The first one is uh, uh, for, about a former New York Jet, Chris. I know you love talking about the Jets. Oh, I love to hear about uh, former Jets. Please continue. So former NFL wide receiver Josh Bellamy uh, has been sentenced to three years in federal prison for fraudul fraudulently, my English is bad, obtaining over $1.2 million in COVID-19 relief funds. So he was That's sentenced not good. Friday. Actually, now that I think about it, I vaguely remember hearing about this. Yes, like he, when he first, when the first charges first came out, and he first got arrested. Yes, he was also he also pled guilty in June to conspiracy to commit wire fraud. Uh, Love so to see that. He most recently played for the Jets. Uh, he was released after being on the physically unable to playlist uh, just days before he got arrested. So he got arrested. He obtained a payment pr protection program loan of one point two million for his company Drip Entertainment LLC. Fantastic company name. 
Drip uh, Entertainment. Drip Entertainment. Okay. So he used the loan proceeds on personal items such as jewelry and a stay at the Seminole Hard Rock and Casino, Hard Rock Hotel and Casino, and then sought loans for his family members and clo- close associates. Uh, so, yeah, you know, very interesting. Uh, Josh Bellamy, he had 78 career receptions for 1,000 yards, played for eight seasons. Um, yeah, you know, not doesn't seem like he's a great person. That's, that's pretty messed up. That's you know what? I don't understand, and I'm speaking, like, in, in general terms right now. Okay. If you're in the NFL, even if like you're not, you're like I mean, Josh Bellamy was not someone who made like fifty million dollars on a on a massive contract or anything crazy like that. But like, you make enough money that like if you manage your money well, like you can you know have a good baseline standard of living after you're done with your career and you move on to other things. Why do you feel the need to engage in just stupid behavior and, and just do like you know stuff like that? It just it. I don't understand it. It just I don't I don't know what would prompt someone to do that. But yeah, I mean, hey, I I'm agree not Josh Bellamy, so I agree with you. It's kind of ridiculous, you know. Uh, you got a five million dollar contract, and you know, it's not it's not an, an an incredible incredible amount of money. Like it's a, it's an amazing amount of money, but you know, you you think you think you'd be able to use it wisely and maybe save it. I don't know, maybe invest. Uh, you know, Chris not a fan of Bitcoin, but if he invested very much in, not a fan of if Bitcoin. he had invested in Bitcoin a year ago, he'd be sitting pretty today. But I mean, I'm a journalism major. I'd be sitting pretty no matter what because we have a highly lucrative uh, career field. Oh, of course we do. You know, yes. we're, we're we're set. You know, those uh, computer yeah. science guys have it. Uh, what what made you major in something useless like finance? Oh, ah. of course. I no mean, shot. come on, no shot. All right. All right. Who I found out was a finance major and I had no idea. Who? Steve Peichel. Really? Yes. I guess that equates to coaching a defensively sound basketball team. I'll have to ask him about. Uh, I'll have to ask him about that next time I talk to him. <laughs> but uh, with that, you know, wanted to talk about this uh, women's basketball. I don't know if you saw this, Chris, but Georgia Southern they beat Carver College one thirteen to fifteen on Monday. It's the second largest margin of victory in women's Division One history. That's right, one thirty. Excuse me, one thirty three to one fifteen. Or not 133 to 115. 133 to 15. So that's a 117-point margin of victory. Yes. That's like, I think the closest comparison I can think of for that is like when um, the United States under-16 girls basketball team takes on like Puerto Rico. Or Dominican Republic or one of those. If you look it up, you'll, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. But it's like... Why are you even playing that game? Like, what do you have to gain? And and on a side note, I really hate the fact that most FCS schools have to get all of their funding for the athletic departments from being paid to, like, um, get the you-know-what kicked out of them, like, in the beginning of the season. Nice or if buy the, game. Or if you're in the SEC Week 11. Um, <laughs> you know, like, I just – it's just – it's not fair to the athletes on those teams. It's not really fair to the FBS teams either because they basically have to play a team that's, like, they know is well below their level – um, you know, and it's just like, what are we doing here? Like, it's, it's, I feel like, I mean, a lot of people involved in college athletics are really greedy. So like, I know it probably won't work out that way, but they should like come up with a way to like share the revenue in a way that keeps those programs going without making teams like Monmouth and who do we play Temple and Delaware. Well, Delaware is a good FCS team, but, um, you know, the point stands like they, they shouldn't have to subject themselves to that. It's not fair to them. It's not fair to FBS. It's not fair to the fans because they have to sit through like what they almost always know is going to be a blowout. 
Like, it's just not fair. I just don't like it. It's just... Uh. Some of the stats from this game are ridiculous. All right, so. run through them. We got two minutes. So, no Georgia Southern starter played more than 15 minutes. Eight players scored in double figures. Uh, let's see. The Georgia Southern started out the game 19 to nothing. They they won the second quarter 33 to nothing. They were up 60 to 5 at the half. Carver College was 2 of 25 from the field in the first half. Uh Georgia Southern scored 78 points off of 49 Carver turnovers. So there are 40 minutes in a basketball game and 49 turnovers in a regulation because this is not going to overtime. That's almost one and a quarter turnover per minute. Sad. So that's, yeah, so let me see. Divide one by 1.225. That is a turnover every 49 seconds. It's amazing. That is like. Amazing. Wow. Love that. And then, uh, so Carver was led by Tyee Treasure. She scored nine points. And then the only there was only one starter who scored, and she had four points. Carver shot six of 49 for the game, and Georgia Southern went 53 for 88. Now, if you're not a mathematician, they shot 60% and held Carver to a 12% shooting percentage. That's that's lopsided. 12%. That's yeah, They made six shots. Need better shot selection. Yeah, I, I, I would have to agree. Uh I, oof, that's 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 a big blowout. That what is, is Carver College? They, I mean, they can't be D one. I've never heard of them before. What Carver College is a minuscule, historically black Bible college from Atlanta, whose men's team gained notoriety last year during the pandemic, disrupted the season for barnstorming around the South and losing by huge margins. But so, what division are they in? They are part of the National Christian College Athletic Association. Doesn't even say what division. So they're, they're not even like they're an not NCAA. They're okay, not but then D1. it's not fair to be playing them because, like I said, they're not on the same level. So, like, why are you even like, like, how is that? How is doing that? Like, how does that benefit you as a basketball team if you're Georgia Southern? Besides getting headlines for, for that, like, it's just it's stupid. Like, why even put them through that? Well, it benefits us because it got us through the last four minutes of the show, and okay. we've hit eight o'clock, and that is going to do it. For the Monday edition of The Crew from Chris Taconis and myself, Dylan McCoy, we hope you enjoyed. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be back here for an evening with Scott Einhorn. You're listening to WRSU-FM, New Brunswick.